Welcome to selfdiscoverywisdom.com, formerly known as Self Discovery Media. On these podcasts, you're going to hear people who speak from the heart. They've taken the journey in life. Many things have happened to them, but they've changed it to happening for them. And in their strength, their courage, they've discovered their abilities and their wisdom, and they are now sharing it here with you. Do enjoy each show. We bring it to you with love and knowing that it's going to help you on your journey of life. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of An Author's Kiss, right here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Adam Graffin. We've had his wonderful wife, Mickey Effen, on a few times now, and she's also a part of our Forgotten Children uh, book series, which I'm delighted that she's a part of, because she's absolutely awesome and filled with passion and knowledge for our children and uh, of course I invite you to just plug in her name um, in selfdiscoverywisdom.com plus it will be at the bottom of Adam's page so that you can go back and listen to her shows and buy the book that she is in so there's the plug for that but we're talking about different books today the Cassidy Chronicles Uh, writing stories that present optimistic view of the future is not just the right thing to do why is it not just the right thing to do? Well, we're going to be finding all about that today. He is a science fiction author and specializes in hope punk. Why hope punk? And why him? There is no surprise that you can look around today and find all sorts of indicators that we are entering Hillian's crazy years, imagining a dystopia of grim, dark future that uh, isn't difficult. It certainly isn't. Uh, all you have to do is read the news. Or try not to, even if you don't, it's still out there. But I think that we that we are writing the history of the future right now by the choices we make every day. So he says, writing stories that present the optimistic view of the future is not just the right thing to do, but necessary. And uh, pessimistic is correct often than an optimistic, but optimistic has more fun. So we're going to be talking about all of his books, and believe me, he has many of them here, um, sci-fi, really taking us out there into the world. But one thing I have found when I ever read fiction, I find more fact in fiction than I generally find fiction. And I think that so many times we see or read something fictional and then all of a sudden it comes in to fact. Uh, We see it all the time. So I don't think it's always so far-fetched. And I think it's always an incredible reflection back on where we are as a society and what our possibilities are if we could project ourselves forward in a different light. So welcome to the show, Adam. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) My pleasure. And of course, sci-fi, I've been a sci-fi geek my entire life. And, you know, for me, I I kind of live up in the universe. I find it very hard to actually live down here on Earth with all the anger, the hate and the everything else. And it's hard to see the beauty with that vibration at you all the time. But sci-fi offers always what the challenge is, what the enemy that we're fighting. But there's always that option of hope of we can turn the tide if we come together and work together we can be that solution against all of that is that your premises is that your foundation in your books absolutely um as you were saying in the introduction i write hope punk science fiction and it's not looking at the future and saying everything is going to be perfect Mm -hmm. um there's too much of that kind of science fiction out there as well it 
it's saying that no matter how bad things get, you don't stop trying to make it better. And you don't stop trying just for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because if you're trying just for yourself, that's cyberpunk. That's dystopian science fiction, uh, where the struggle is just to survive. Um, but you're trying to make it better for your community, you know, and the people around you. Andy Weir is a current master of hope punk. Uh, he wrote The Martian. And if you look at that, despite all of the cha- challenges that thrown at them from every direction, they keep going with that one mission, you know, to rescue him yeah. from, from yeah. the planet. Yeah. But, but and, and what's the argument that you would get? It's just one person and you're risking so many people and it's costing so much just to rescue one person. But if we don't give one person the value, then how can anybody else feel uh, anything of worth? Well, and how can you set a value on a person? Exactly. How, how, you know, the only time you could possibly set a value on a person is after that person's life is over. Mm. You know, when you can measure everything against the, the tapestry that, that they are woven into. But that doesn't do any good in the moment. So you have to assume that this person is deserving of the effort you're making. Yeah. And, you know, one doesn't know that, but I think it's also, it goes even kind of deeper where it's like, if this one person does survive, if we can rescue this one person, then there's hope for humanity as a whole. Quite, quite. I, you know, the the stories, you know, of, of people putting themselves in harm's way to rescue somebody else, you know, jumping into a frozen river mm-hmm. to rescue somebody who's fallen through. Um, you know, very common this time of year. Yes. Uh, people swimming out to rescue somebody who is struggling in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's, it's almost hardwired into humanity to look out for other people. And so Hope Punk simply expands that and it, it asks the, the, the classic science fiction and fantasy question, what if, yes. right? Because we always ask, as a science fiction author, you, you look and you say, what if something, and you, and you figure out the story from there. But it's also, how do you ask the what if? What if it could all go wrong? Or what if there's something incredible to be discovered out of this? So I think it's also you know, the tone and the attitude of the way we look at things is going to show you whether you're going to be on the pessimistic or the optimistic side. And pessimism doesn't get us anywhere, right? We have to be optimistic in order to actually see those possibilities in front of us. Pessimism doesn't see that. No, no. uh, Pessimists look at what's around them and they extrapolate the worst, Mm -hmm. uh, which... Look, if, if the worst always happened, none of us would be here now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> there have been so many opportunities in the history of humanity for things just to completely go south. And, you know, things have not always been good and things will not always be good. But that doesn't mean they can't get better. Mm-hmm. 
And that again is up to us. That again is up to um, what we choose to feed, right? And, you know, I know that I don't think absolutely anybody uh, that walks this earth doesn't have an experience where you are facing challenges and somewhere you just don't even know if you can get back off, off the ground and face. And, you know, you look what's ahead of you and it's like, how can I do this? It's impossible. And everybody has that doubt at some point. But then when you've got the doubt out of the way, somewhere in the bottom of the belly is courage. But what if I just give it a try anyway? One, one of my characters, uh, Kendra Cassidy, who is at the center of most of the books in the Cassidy verse, she, she goes through life living up to, if I don't ask you, mm. you can't say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's, she is constantly trying things and doing things, which other people are looking at her and going, Kendra, are you insane? Yes. <laughs> and the answer is no, she's not insane. But, you know, she's just, she has a dream. She is pursuing her dream. And she's going to do everything she can to make that dream happen. And if that means asking questions, which seem crazy, she's going to do it without mm -hmm. hesitation. She's all in on her dream. But, but don't we all need to have a dream? Otherwise, what's our compass? You know, how do we know where to go if we don't have some form of dream? You know, and sometimes that dream can just be kind of an illusional veil. But it, the more we look at it, the clearer it becomes, but also the clearer the instructions of how to, you know, bring that dream into fruition. We've, we've got to be willing to see it and really look at it for what it is, not dictate what we want it to be, but see it for what it is. And, and be ready, be ready to be frustrated a little bit mm -hmm. because you might only be able to see this tiny little piece of yes. the dream and only that little piece comes into focus and you, and you figure out a way, okay, how can I make this tiny little piece happen? And when that happens, it spreads a little bit and the focus gets a little bit larger you're able to see, oh, okay, and these possibilities just opened up. Yeah. So then you have. So it, it's not like it's not like you can see. Uh, I suppose there are people who can, uh, you mm -hmm. know, eight billion people on the planet. But so don't expect to see that whole tapestry at once. You're not that, meant to. No, you take you take care of the thing that you can take care of now. Mm -hmm. And then when that's done, there's going to be something else that you can work on. And there's going to be something else that you can strive towards. And that's going to lead you to in another step and another step. I mean, as an author, same as, as, as a dreamer of anything, you must have certain, um, certain steps in the vision of your book of where you want it to go. But like um, most authors I've interviewed, and my brother's an author as well, it's the allowing the characters to actually take you there. You know where you want them to go and you know why you want them to get there, but their actually journey of getting there is something that just kind of comes through you and through the fingers and, and becomes. Is that the case for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, again, I know where I want the story to end mm -hmm. up, but 
I have absolutely no idea the route that it's going to take. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. When I started writing the four book Artemis War series, I had no idea first that it was going to be four books. Uh, and that a character I introduced as a very minor side character in the first book, actually two characters who are very minor in the first book, ended up having major roles mm. by the fourth book, just because that's who they are. And that's, they were, they were in the right or wrong places at the right time. Mm -hmm. And so their roles, you know, became a, a focal point. Um, you know, which, which is exactly like, like life. Yes. You never know what is going to be important because we don't see the future. We're writing the future. Yes, yes. But we, we need to be it. mindful what we put down and what we say, even what our thoughts are. We mean to be mindful and, and maybe heartful in our approach to it, right? Because uh, we, we're seeding the wrong seeds right now. We're watering the wrong seeds and um, we're letting that pessimism take over rather than the optimism. And I think it's like, you know where you want to be. You know what you want this world to be, but you've got to understand every letter that's on that page you are a part of. And so you've got to make it happen by being optimistic, planting the right seeds, watering and nurturing them and guiding them, protecting them so that they can be that optimism and that hope that we all see but it's up to every letter in the book is a character in a sense right so it's got to it's got to be heartful and mindful but also responsible it, it is so science fiction time travel one of one of the common tropes in time travel is the the worry when you go into the past you're going to change something yeah. and it's going to have this catastrophic change on the future. And, and, and by catastrophic, I simply mean major. It could be a good change. It could be a bad change, but it's going to change the future. Well, we are somebody else's past. Yes. A byproduct so, of. <laughs> exactly. We are somebody else's past. Somebody in the future, a hundred years from now, 300 years from now, a thousand years from now, is looking, you know, is looking back. And we are making choices right now, all of us collectively, that is affecting that world a thousand years from now. We are writing the future by the actions we take today. Yeah. So planting those seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, as I said, for me, very often, um, I call them factional books, some fictional books, because for me, I see so much fact in there. One of my favorite books is the the Northern Lights trilogy, Philip Pullman, um, and the beautiful series Dark Materials, and you know the fact that our soul is a is an animal that keeps changing until you reach puberty, and then that animal represents the soul of who you are, and but the, that animal is always questioning you and talking to you and and being that sounding board where we we don't listen in as human beings to our soul and what it's speaking you know we're always influenced by the outside so that's why it had such a big effect on me it's like don't i wish i had this animal here that could talk to me and uh, you know sometimes hold me in check and say no don't go down that road but if we are willing to read and read 
you know, the fantasy and look and like that mirrors too much of what's going on right now. But what does the hero do about it? What can I do about it? What can I do in my own life? How can I be a hero in my own life? Why do we love heroes? Why do we love people that save the day? Because in our own little world, we're trying to save our own day and trying to be a hero in our own lives. We are. And and that's the beauty about speculative fiction speculative fiction, so science fiction and fantasy, because we can hold a mirror up to society Mm -hmm. and ask hard questions and show the ugly side of what's going on now, but present it in such a way that nobody's taking it as an attack on them and their personal, you know, their their personal choices, because it's fiction. It's made up. Yes. You know, 1984, when it was written back in 48, was science fiction. And it was holding, you know, and it was simply holding a mirror up and saying, look what could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Star Trek was famous for that during during the original run. You know, again, holding up a mirror and reflecting society's problems and, you know, the, the issues that American society was going through at the time and putting it into a science fiction light Mm -hmm. and getting people to think about it in a non-threatening way. Right. Yeah. Reflection of, uh, this is so much like society now, my goodness, you know, and it's a, you know, food for thought. And anytime that you can have people pause and think, pause and truly see what's going on, you know, then that becomes that invitation. You don't like what's going on? Well, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to change it? And, you know, I call the finger pointing. Whenever you're pointing a finger, well, it's government, it's this, it's that, it's their problem. No, there's three pointing back at you. They're saying, no, you've got to be accountable too. You've got to be responsible. What action are you going to take? Because it requires all of us. And I'm sure with in any of your books, she may be the hero that leads the way. But if people don't join her, right, then not she's not going to achieve it. We always need the the hero, the leader, that inspiration begets invitation. So when she's inspiring to others, they want to follow her, even though they're following her into the unknown. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, that, that is one of the, the, the recurring themes that she goes back to and she reflects on during the course of the books. You know, um, these are, a, a quote of, her, another quote of hers is, um, if I'm not willing to sacrifice for my dream, how can I ask anyone else? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of leadership that gets people following you. Yes. You know, because she's not just saying, okay, go here, go do that thing. Mm-hmm. And while I go stay over here, she's saying, here, follow me, come with me, not go do it. Right. The other factor too is, when we're inspired by somebody, yes, the words may engage us. Oh, may have had a drop. Hold on, folks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it disappeared on me. Um, the words may be engaging, and that is what gets people to listen. But if it's not said, you know, heart, soul, and spirit fed, if it's not said with an energy that is I'm willing to step into this unknown because I can feel it. 
Right? Now, we've got plenty of leaders throughout history and even now, if you call them leaders, that corral people up the hysteria and get people to follow them with the words that they say and the energy they say. But that is that negative energy. But when somebody speaks, not just the words, but with the enthusiasm and the belief and the hope, then that's what people feel. It's not always just the words, is it? It's the feeling. That inspiration begets that invitation where I'm invited, you're inviting me to join your dream, to merge my dream with yours, to believe that together we can make it. And that is something that takes on a totally different energy and that allows people to step into that abyss of the unknown because they believe. Exactly. Uh, the, the, the climactic the climactic quarter of the last book in that series, people are are rising to the occasion mm -hmm. because of what Kendra and her wife have been doing for the other three books. Mm -hmm. You know, they've just they've been they have been living their words, and the other people who are following them are saying, "Okay, all right, you you put you know." You, you've proven that, yeah, all right, this is worth doing. I'm going to do it with you. They've plowed the feed and planted the seeds, and now people are willing to be the rain and, and then, you know, the pickers, and that's the thing. And not everybody is the visionary. Not everybody is capable of leading. Not everybody is capable of seeing a vision. It's a huge responsibility when somebody has a vision that is so strong for what needs to happen and know that, it can be a very lonely journey for them to get other people to see what needs to change, how we need to move forward. You can come and join me because it's always going to be the pessimism is going to hold them back until they gain momentum in a way that changes the energy to, well, maybe she's right. Maybe we should look into this. But it's a huge responsibility to be in that kind of leadership. And, and you have to be flexible enough to take people who whose dreams don't quite align with yours, mm. mm -hmm. but they're close. You know, it, it's it's not exactly the same path, but you have the same destination in mind, and and you have to be able to recognize. Okay, it's they don't have to they don't have to walk the same path as long as we're going to the same place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the book to the, you know, the candlestick maker and everything else, you know, you, you've all got your own, what I call instrument, but what you do, you believe in the orchestra. Right. Yeah, it takes all of them to make a symphony. Yeah, exactly. And that is true of life anywhere. But we can't join the symphony if we do not know how to play our instrument. So first and forth, we have to identify what is our instrument? How do we play? it, Can we be a good soloist? And can we come? in harmony and join an orchestra where we can work together to transcend. And that is, I think, our role in life is to discover what our instrument is and find our orchestra. Now, writing sci-fi um, requires a totally different imagination with all the technology and all the other stuff. So do you have a technical background? Where do you get your knowledge to kind of, you know, which buttons to press and which computer and all the other quantum <laughs> stuff? Because You've got to have kind of a somewhat of a sci-fi mind in order to be able to portray that in a way that others get it. Right. No, I, it's, 
it's largely from being a, a science fiction fan from when I was very little. And it's been my genre of choice all my life. I, I, so I have read and watched, I, I won't say all of it because there's too much. Yes. Um, but I, I've watched a fair amount. And when I've been interested in things, you know, I'll, I'll dig into it and say to find out if, okay, is this plausible? Um, is it is it possible? Or are they just completely, you know, completely hand wavium and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and filling up spaces with, with mm, science fantasy, let's right. call it. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of something that I want to put into a book, I, you know, do some digging around and say, okay, let's, let's see if there's some basis for this in reality. You know, some, some tether, because again, science fiction is asking what if. Yes. Yes. So. Just yeah. because it doesn't exist today, mm-hmm. if, if the foundation is there, if the theory is there, then it's possible that it could happen. Right. And if it's possible, then I can describe it in a way that makes the reader believe it. And they can suspend disbelief and they can get immersed in that, that world, that universe mm. and go, okay, yeah. Yeah, I believe that there can be a starship that can travel fast in the speed of light. Right. You know, through this, that, and the other. How AI were you before kind of AI became the thing? I have been writing um, AIs into my stories for years. Mm-hmm. And because it's been such a, a common trope in science fiction, for AIs to be the bad guys. Yes. You know, just, you know, you think of Terminator, you know, and, <laughs> and, and Hal. Yeah. Yeah. I robot, yes. I robot rather, yes. <laughs> and all the portrayals of the AI as the other, mm-hmm. you know, and that scary, scary thing. And my AIs end up as citizens of this new Terran Federation. So I'm coming at it from a, a different angle. How do you integrate AIs, mm-hmm. you know, these intelligences, these, these thinking beings who happen to live in a box instead of, you know, in meat space? Right. You know, the consciousness. They live in the consciousness, right? Yeah. Right. How do you integrate them into a society in a way that makes them feel included and equal. Mm. Mm. So that that's that's been a focus of some stories and you know they're they're right in there. They're right they're they're side by side with their with the humans and working together, not just being ordered around by them. Right, exactly. Have you seen the movie The Creator? No, I haven't. Oh ghost see it see it <laughs> you'll love it <laughs> now i'm with you is that ai and the technology of conscious higher consciousness is like when we kind of download from the universe what we need to know and it 
it comes through as and either comes out in thought or in speech or in writing and uh, action. You know, we're downloading the universal wisdom. All AI is doing is taking all of that wisdom that it's accumulated and it's been able to channel what you need to know when you need to know it if you ask the right question. So, you know, in the creator, there is that where they were living happily together, something went wrong. And then, of course, now they're out to destroy all of them and blame them for everything. And, of course, it's Americans, you know, usual, <laughs> right, going and annihilate everything. Let's shoot it first and ask questions later. Um, but I, I love the movie for the fact that um, I believe that AI is here to refine us. Uh, to articulate us in some ways that sometimes we're in, unable to do. We're limited by the flesh, and sometimes we're even limited by our thought process. And by AI, you know, emerging with this, um, having the conversations, giving them something and say, what do you think, or how do you feel, or can you expand on this, is an expansion of consciousness that gives us a broader picture that maybe we're unable to get to ourselves. So I look at AI use wisely because, of course, there all, always will be those that will use it unwise, always those that will be sinister with it. And those are the what are called the three Ds, the small-minded. But if we use the AI as companions, if we use them as colleagues, if we use them as a higher intelligence than us at times, I believe that that partnership could really be something that could be extremely beneficial. But it comes down again to the big word of responsibility. Absolutely. And so... Robert Heinlein, who is one of my favorite authors and is largely considered the father of hard science fiction, you know, the scientific-based science fiction, um, talked about AI an awful lot. Mm -hmm. And one of his points is that AI, any artificial intelligence, is necessarily going to reflect humanity because it is created by a human. We, yes. are, we are taking what we're wired with and putting it into machine language. Right. So that means an AI is going to potentially have all of the positives mm -hmm. and all of the negatives mm -hmm. of a human. So, you know, keep that in mind. A, 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 you know, a, a hero AI will be very good. And a villain AI will be very bad because they take humanity's, you know, dreams and faults and then magnify them. You know, they, 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 it, it's just thought. It's just thought. There's no concern about, you know, I got to pay the rent. Right. Exactly. They're just thought so they can expand on things. Right. I mean, like how many movies have been done with kind of, robots you know higher intelligence and and uh, you know the villainist of it or all the extraordinary abilities that they have and i think again as human beings surely by now we should know our moral compass of what is right and wrong and any action that you take that is going to harm another is a definition of wrong and every uh, action that you take that is going to enable and empower others is the definition of right and i you know i think we can actually uh, be that compass for AI of, you know, in our instruction, right? So it, again, it, it, I do feel we have the power to, to change the world and we've had the power to change the world for the worse. 
but I also feel it's it's almost an uprising of all those that want to stay in misery and in pain and in anguish and in anger and in opulence. You know, they want to to stay there because they feel it's harder to do the work to step in to this other vibration. And and I think AI for those that have definitely stepped over into the other vibration will help us evolve even more. Whereas obviously the others may use AI to be more destructive. Um, but I do feel that they're eventually going to get left behind because I think we are in the era of where we have to step out of this because we're not going to survive as a human race and all the earth. Hence all the Armageddon movies that we see about leaving this beautiful planet to go and destroy another. <laughs> well, I, and, and that gets us right back around to hope punk, right? Yeah. Because no matter how bad things are now, you don't stop trying to make things better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's not up to someone else. It's up to all of us collectively. And each one of us has a role to play in it. And we've got to discover what that role is. Quite. Be the hero in your own life. And sometimes, you know, some people, I don't want to be the hero. Oh, no, no, that sounds like too much responsibility. Okay, be the advocate for the hero. Right, you know, be the supporter of the hero, be the solutioner for when they're looking for it. I mean, there's a role for everyone. It's mm -hmm. up to us to discover what that role is. You know, I mean, you know, in Star Trek, I'm a true colors coach, you know, the four key personalities of which, you know, um, Spock, uh, Scotty, uh, Doc, and, um, and Kirk are all each one of those personalities. But the reason why they work together is that each one of their own strength personalities, but they know how to combine and work together because they are the missing link in each one of their own ideas, which is wonderful. And I think finding those people, which I'm sure you have in your books, she finds people that she's in sync with, that they have their own forte, their own strength, and she trusts that forte. She trusts mm -hmm. that strength. She relies on that because she knows that they're already on board with the vision but everybody's going to see it differently and present it differently. That's how you get a whole picture. Yeah. I, she's, there's one scene and she's recruiting. She, she's trying to woo an enemy over onto her side. And she, she said, she's asked, well, you know, aren't you going to offer me bribes? Aren't you going to offer me, you know, you know, your technology, aren't you going to offer me all, you know, all these things? And Kendra replies with, no, I'm not going to do it. Either you're a fit or you're not. Yeah. If you're a fit, you don't need any of that. Right. And if you're not a fit, I don't want you. Right. The incentive oh. is the vision of what can be. That's the incentive, yeah. right? And if you don't see it, then no, because you're looking for what's in it for me. You're not mm -hmm. looking at what's in it for us which is a different, different thing. Your desire to see the world change comes out through your books. Um, and so people are reading it. Um, again, just like all the sci-fi shows, Star Trek, Star Wars, I was a huge Star Wars one, May the Force Be With You. That's our own inner energy, <laughs> our own divine energy, a huge Avatar fan. Uh, you know, and, and I remember somebody, when the second movie came out, somebody commenting, it was a wonderful movie until the humans turned up. <laughs> you know, because the, the humans are always the destructive ones. They never see the value in something. Oh, 
they've dropped again. Ah, and back again. Okay, one of those days, folks, I'll be in retrograde. <laughs> but all of these sci-fi things have wonderful messages. You know, wonderful messages that we can pause and take a, a point they got a point there um, i wasn't seeing life like that now this is a reflection of how i'm seeing things or what i really should do and, and be more conscious in my thoughts from uh, all the time all the years that you've been writing books have you had that kind of feedback from your readers i have i have um i, I enjoy putting a, a deeper question into each book mm -hmm. um which, which is not necessarily evident. I mean, you can read my books and just enjoy them for the story. Mm -hmm. You know, I just get swept away with, you know, the all adventure. the adventure and all the action and all, you know, all the, you know, all, you know, all the, all the banter that's going on between the characters and everything else. Um, the, but the measure of humanity is one of the books and it asks the question, what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it digs into it through through the mechanism of a court case. Uh, and again, you can just read it right on the surface, but hopefully it, it gets people thinking, huh, and looking back at maybe something that they had thought, well, that makes this person less somehow, and realizing maybe I'm coming from a, you know, maybe that's not the right way to look at this. Exactly. Exactly. Food for thought. We don't pause enough for thought, do we? I mean, you know, as human beings, we're constantly on this little hamster wheel, running and running and running and really not getting anywhere. And, you know, there's such a gift in silence and such a gift in being still and such a gift of just in nothingness, because that's truly when the wisdom comes knocking and you can really see it. But we're making ourselves busy, 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 busy all the time and not enough to kind of receive what's important and understand the direction we're going in by feeling it because you've you've allowed it to be shown to you and i think that when we read a sci-fi watch sci-fi or any way like this it's it is that good pause for reflection it's that good i know this is just a character in a book but you know when you mimic this to what's happening in the world right now when you look at the reflection of that it's like i've just seen the world through a magnifying glass and I'm not sure I like what I see, right? Whereas before we've gone, la, 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 don't want to know. So I think these books are a wonderful way of turning our eyes in, in order to see out properly. And, and, and as a creator, uh, we get the, we get the, the bonus, you know, because not only can we sit down and read a book and have that own quiet moment of ourselves, um, every every author starts as a reader. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've said that for years, and I will continue saying it. Every author reads. But as we're creating, and this holds true for artists as well, as we're creating, those ideas can come out through what we create. Mm -hmm. And we can have those aha moments for ourselves mm -hmm. As something goes tick, 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 ding, and pops out onto the page, you know, and one of the characters is saying, and one of the characters is realizing it, and you're sitting there going, well, wait a second. That's me. Yeah. You know, that, that and you, you get that moment as well. Yeah, 
I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that um, being able to look at something and go, I relate. This could be my story. Um, or, you know, uh, uh, the reflection of the action they've taken is an action I would like to take, but maybe I don't have enough courage to do so. Uh, you know, all of this type of thing, I think, is is reflected when we look, when we read books. I mean, for me, that's the reason why this, this particular genre is called an author kiss, because I think very often the book is a kiss. It's a, it's a kiss of acknowledgement. It's a kiss of, of passion and wonderment. And I think one of the things that we lose as adults as we grow is a sense of wonderment, a sense of exploration. And we get so, you know, trugged in into the molasses of life that we don't realize that if we can dream it, if we can envision it, if we can explore it, you know, we can become it. And, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, any of these type of books, Hope Punk, it shows us, yes, you can get out of that molasses. Yes, you can. Why are you holding yourself back? Why, why are you thinking pessimistically? You're not that kind of person. Where's your optimistic buzzing? Let's push it back on. And that, you know, a reminder sometimes, and that's what a book does. So that's why I call it the kiss, because it's kind of a kiss of life in many ways of, of that wonderment, of that juiciness and of where it takes us. Because that information, whether it's fantasy or somebody who's written and shared a story of their reality, it's the reflection of what it means to us. And we digest it. And then once we've saved it and digested it, we look at it and go, hmm, definitely food for thought. Yeah, I, I love books where you get invested in the character mm -hmm. and, and you want to know more about that person and, and their life, you know, that's being presented in these books. Those are the ones where, you know, the author has really succeeded mm -hmm. in, you know, in, in getting you and getting across to you and making that connection with you because what and, and once you have that connection that's when an author can show you things that you wouldn't have thought of yourself yes once you're open to that connection through the character that you've just that you've absolutely fallen in love with and just want to know more about yeah yes it, it's you're vicariously living through but at the same time it's switching on some switches inside of you that you didn't know were switched off right mm -hmm. so you know, it's a, it's a stimulator in many ways. Now you've done this series, and the other series was the um, Artemis Fowl. Okay, so Oop. the the Cassidy verse is nine books all mm, told, wow. and the Artemis War is a four book series within that Cassidy verse. Okay, so, so is it a branch and, of or a parallel to? No, it's it's the same characters. It's just there are so many stories going on. Uh, the Cassidy Chronicles, which is the first book, is the origin story, and it stands alone. The Artemis War, which is four-book series, you can read those and not read anything else and right. be perfectly fine. There are two collections of short stories, and there's a, it's going to be a duology, which takes place after the Artemis War. Mm. So... Again, different characters. I have a cat passing through. <laughs> That's like cats always love coming to podcasts. They like the energy. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, so you have all of that, and it's all in the same science fiction universe. So characters 
are popping in and popping out. And you, you'll see one in, you know, the Artemis War, and they become a major character in Ghosts of Tantor, the, the missions of the Pike. Hmm. Um, and then I'm also, I'm also playing with a fantasy series, which, which uh, it's a fantasy trilogy, which is coming out this spring. Ah, what's it called? Do share a little on it. So the, the trilogy is called God's Fall, and the books are The Book of One, The Book of Two, and The Book of Three. And I just had a reviewer uh, finish, and she said she has such a book hangover. She just finished the third book, and she wants more. She <laughs> wants more of these characters. So mm. it, it, that's one of those things that gives an author the warm and fuzzies. Mm, mm, intriguing, intriguing. What's your process when you write? Are you one of these people that needs to go into the woods somewhere and write? Are you disciplined that you can get down and write by hand or write by computer? You know, what, what's your process? So I spend most of my day uh, doing writing and writing related things. Mm -hmm. um, as an indie author, I do a lot of, you know, I do my own marketing, you know, and, um, you know, do all the all the social media outreach and setting up for conventions and you know arranging to go places and do things. I also am a freelance editor, so I do editing for other people. I edit my own stuff. Yeah, so I all day long I'm doing things. Some of that is writing, mm -hmm. and I always have multiple projects on the go. Right now, I have four. Four, with an idea for a fifth one. <laughs> so uh, you can dip in and out then. You're not one of these people, I need to shut myself away to write a book. You can kind of dip in and out, you know, like, oh, the story's coming, time to write. Or, you know, um, I've got something else on my plate right now that needs to, needs to wait. So because some writers need to shut themselves off and things like this, and they just write. And then, but you can, you can just write whenever you feel like it. Or when you've got time, <laughs> more more or less, more or less, and part of part of that part of that freedom to write or not write. Mm -hmm. um, see, I don't think there's such a thing as writer's block. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that authors have adopted from society's expectations. Mm -hmm. In that society expects authors to write, and if there aren't words appearing on the page, yeah, then you're not writing and why aren't you writing you know they're equating writing with working yes and, you know because if you're not doing anything at work you know if you have your office job and you're not producing anything then then there's a problem mm -hmm. writing isn't like that mm -hmm. and there's so much else involved we can sit and think about an idea and it may take a week or a month mm -hmm. for that idea to germinate yes you're still writing. In That's your head. part of the process. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. part of yeah. the process of writing. Mm -hmm. So the whole, oh well, you know, writer's block is a problem because if you're not sitting there and if you're not if you're not typing, then you're not. No. Right. no. Yeah, yeah, you've got to allow, you know, the next phase to come through, and very often life's actions 
and things that you do will spark. Ah, okay, that's where I'm meant to go. But if you don't actually interact with life and allow those things to come to you, you are going to get blocked because you're not allowing any download to come, right? Anything to inspire that next chapter, that next part, which is everybody has a different process. And, is, you know, this, again, going back to the human judgment, if you're not doing it this way, you're doing it wrong. You know, it's in the end, what are you producing? How you got there is your journey, not anybody else's, right? Mm -hmm. What works for you is works for you. Works different for someone else, that's fine. But to be a slave to the, you got to do it this way and not allow it to become, I think is not going to produce the same results. No, no. And, and the other trap writers fall into is the thought that what they're writing needs to be good. Mm-hmm. The stuff that you write, that you put on the page as your first draft, mm -hmm. it can be terrible. Yeah. In yeah. fact, it probably is terrible. And that's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Because you can change yes. the things that you write. Mm -hmm. You can't change the words that you didn't write. Exactly. So just get something They don't exist, down. you can't change it. Yeah. Uh, it might be gobbledygook. But you step away from it and you come back and you look at it and go, okay, but yeah, I wanted to say this. I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that. Now you can refine it because basically all you're doing, if it's gobbledygook, is just downloading the ideas, putting it down there, then go away and come back and now you can make sense out of it. Think of how many tons of rock have to be dug out of the earth in order to get a kilogram of gold. Mm-hmm. And how do they get the kilogram of gold? They go through that those tons of rock and they get rid of everything that's not gold. Well, writing is an awful lot like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to wait for those nuggets to come. And mm -hmm. and I, you know, I know that you know my brother and his writing, you know, things that he sees. Because when I I always read every one of his books before he puts them out there, and it's like, uh, oh. Yeah, I remember that, or I see that, or gosh, you are really reflected in this. And that's the thing is the reflection of your life finds its way into the story web, right? Because that's the reason that it's there. It's it's something that's familiar to you. You can identify with it, so you can make it a character. Everything we write, everything anybody writes, is presented through the lens of their experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's necessarily going to reflect that person yeah. to some degree. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because it, it's a, your core essence that you're sharing. It, you're just being a chameleon, right? Changing characters and people all the time. But if the core essence isn't there, it's the compass that from where you, you, know, you always go back to, it will be disconglobulated and not make sense. So you have to have that core essence as being that center thing for all of the characters to springboard from. It, exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, we, you know, we get favorite authors. And we go back to that person because that person's essence of um, you know, our identification with them, we can feel them. And even though we know it's a totally different character, this one's a totally different character, there is that common thread, that essence that draws us back to the same author over and over again. Um, even if they write something totally and utterly different, 
um, to you know what they've written before. It's still something that is familiar. If you're watching the video, folks, we are having problems with the video today. <laughs> it's having problems with it coming back on. Are you with me, Adam? You know, just like uh, in your books, you know, in any spaceships or anything they're ever dealing with, there's always technical problems, like we're having today, <laughs> right? But it kind of always builds suspense, you know, in a book or anything that you watch is like, you know, it's not working or it's running out of juice and they need to get going at that very moment. And it's always a, a great kind of suspense thing, you know, press the button or start or you know, get moving. And people can become very uh, immersed into kind of the, oh, and oh, and ah, of, of a book too, right? Yes. And, and that's a, again, you know, authors, we live for that kind of reaction. We want people to forget mm. where they are when they're reading the book or yeah. listening to the book. Yes. You know, we want them so immersed in the world that when something goes wrong, that they're feeling it. They're, they're, mm. they're feeling the tension and they're feeling the pressure as well. And they're, oh, we're having bubbles here right now. Stop. Sorry. Had a little drop there. Yes, I mean, if we're not getting that, then we're, we're kind of not really engrossed in the book, right? So we want that kind of reaction. And, you know, you want somebody in a coffee shop that's reading the book going to go, oh, no! <laughs> so reading the book. Everybody, what's she reading? So, now, where did you get the character Cassidy from? Is this from somebody you know? Is You know, is this, how did you pick her in particular? Uh, so the original idea. Hold on a moment, love. Rachel, so. Sorry, folks, we are having a little tech issue today. But, you know, how did Cassidy come about? Who is she? Who uh, is somebody <laughs> you know? No, no. Neither Ayanna nor Kendra Cassidy are people that I know. Uh, when I started writing the Cassidy Chronicles a dozen years ago, it started actually from a a single scene, uh, which was at their wedding, and the minister tries to kill Ayana at her own wedding. And I just had to find out what happened next. And as I'm going through the story and they're trying to get, you know, figure out what's going on, that's when all of their backgrounds mm. started coming to the forefront. And Kendra's had an interesting life. Um, very interesting. There, there's about a 60,000 word, two stories. That's about 60,000 words, which is all about how she was turned from an actress into an assassin. Ah. So. <laughs> of course. I mean, just like one does, right? You know, just. <laughs> Absolutely. You play the assassin. Oh, this feels familiar. I'm just going to continue with it. <laughs> Gets paid better. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little more high risk. A little more high risk, yes. I don't know. I mean, you know, if you play in some theatres, you get closed the next day or booed or tomatoed off the, off the stage. So <laughs> it depends what you call it. So, I mean, all of these characters that come into you, when you, um, when you go on to another book, do some of these characters follow you because they're so interesting or you're so, in, you know, entrenched with them, they've got to be in the next book? To a degree. To a degree, um, 
the the duology that I'm writing now, the Ghosts of Tantor and Tracking Tantor, uh, Kendra is at the beginning of it because she needs to introduce everybody. Mm. She needs to set the stage for what's going to happen. And then all these other characters who were minor characters in other books, now they get to take center stage mm. and Kendra fades, you know, Kendra fades off. So you, you really like to have equal time with all your characters, right? You know, you bring up the, you know, the background people and make them foreground. So you like to give everybody a chance to be in the limelight. Everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. All of these characters have stories. When, when we're writing about a character, we're writing their stories. And if our characters have any depth to them at all, then their stories are just as rich and varied as mm -hmm. any real persons. Exactly. So how could you not tell the stories? That's why I have two collections of short stories out mm -hmm. so that I can tell some of these lovely little nuggets about the side characters, about the things that are going on in their lives. Have you ever killed somebody off and thought, oh, shucks, I wish I hadn't done that? Oh, killing off a character is never easy mm -hmm. for an author, mm -hmm. ever. Um, I actually talked myself out of killing <laughs> off a number of characters. <laughs> but it, it, to answer your question, no. There isn't a character that I've killed off where I have looked back and said, uh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. It has always been necessary. Right. There's a reason it, for it. It's always been regrettable. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when Michaela and I were listening to the audiobook, to one of my audiobooks, there's a whole sequence where a bunch of characters are either in dire peril or actually dying. And she, every so often, would pause the book and glare at me because <laughs> I just put somebody into harm's way or I just killed somebody off and she's like okay I liked them uh -huh. <laughs> but that's also part of it you know it's part of life you know people die people you know on the on their quest to change you know some people we lose people along the way and you know it's just as sad because you want them to get to utopia. You want them to, to you know, fill their dream. And, and if it's cut short by any reason, you know, again, it is a reflection on life where, you know, if somebody's life has been cut short, you know, before they've had a chance to experience life. So it can bring up feelings, most certainly. It, it does. And it also brings up feelings in the other characters. Mm -hmm. Yes. You so... don't see that too much. You know, it's sense you know, somebody's dead, you know, like in Star Trek, it always used to be if they were wearing, I think, red or, or some yeah, color, sure. you know, you knew that they were going to be killed, <laughs> you know, because they were kind of a nobody and sacrificed. And it's like, um, and it's like, why? They were interesting. Why couldn't you save them? You know, um, so, you know, sometimes that, yes, somebody has to go. But, but at the same time is that you want to have be immersed into that character so that you regret it or you, you know, you're sad when they go, because then that's back to the value of their contribution to life. Yeah. And 
and, and seeing it reflected in the other characters, mm. um, again, you know, a, a fairly major secondary character dies, and Ayana is reacting to it, and she's like, look, I'm tired of funerals. I'm tired of my friends dying. I just want, I want this to be over. Yeah. And so she's, she's persuading Kendra to, to essentially go for the kill on, in, this, in this war that they're doing, rather than dragging it out, simply because she doesn't want any more of the pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, again, that's very relatable to life, where it's like every time you, you know, the cha-cha-cha of life, you take a step forward, there's two back, and you feel, am I getting anywhere? Or you feel that you're really getting somewhere, and then, you know, something else comes up, and you go, oh, my God, it just feels like I've been dragged back in to the sewerage. And, um, and then you feel like, well, the achievements that you've done is an achievement, but it is. It's just that you're back in the sewerage for another reason. Right to to get out and take more people out of it, but it's do I have to keep going back in there? <laughs> mm -hmm. Kendra again um, talking about doing something very distasteful, and she says, "I'm I'm already hip deep in this sewer. What's another dunk?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. How how hard it is to stop your characters becoming jaded. You know, when constantly book after book, they're the hero, they're moving forward, they're this and that, but they must get kind of jaded somewhere along the line or bitter or something because that's the reaction of life. It is. And they have to have, going back to what we were talking about with the leader and the followers mm -hmm. and having people with you in pursuit of this dream, that's when you reap, you know, they are support, you know, they're supporting you and lifting you up yeah. when, when you're low, just like you've lifted them as well. Right. So, yes, the characters get jaded. The characters, um, the characters run into issues which are, you know, are going to derail them. And somebody else says, look, you can't let it derail you. And, and they work through it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the process of, of grief and acceptance and moving on, you know, pops up fairly frequently. And yes, again, they get jaded. Mm. And then they come out of it because right. they realize that this isn't where they want to be. Right. How much uh, does your wife, uh, Mickey have influence that she's a behaviorist uh, you know, and studies that and does it so very, very well. And that's what her chapter is about. How, do you pick her brain on, you know, would, uh, would this be the right behavior or, or, or have you just know her so well through the years that uh, it's already subliminally tapped in? Uh, I think it's already subliminally tapped in. Um, and, and she has actually shown up as a character, mm. uh, one of the very few people that I will say, it, you know, this person takes some traits from her. Um, I mean, I, I, I do it a lot. I've had most of my books, most of the side characters are people who have said, use my name. Mm -hmm. So the names are real and the characters are imaginary. Um, but Michaela's 
character, Mikhail's character takes some traits, not the behavior expert though. Yeah. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> oh, there's some traits we don't know about her. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Um, you know, I find it sad when, when I'm reading a trilogy or reading a book that, you know, it's got a few of them on and then um, you put it down and you've got to wait for the next one or you know that I actually do delay reading the last books. I read part of it, put it down. No, no, I, I don't want the finish line yet. I can, I'm not ready to finish it. Um, and then pick it back up and at some point do you finish it. You know, do you have that type of feeling yourself? It's like, I just don't want this to be the end. And, and, in, and in many ways, it isn't really with you because you divert into, you know, different channels and different adventures, etc. But is there ever a time that she may hang up her coat, so to speak, and you bring another character? Oh, absolutely. Um, there, there are already threads where that hint at, at future stories. Mm -hmm. um, again, the, the collections of short stories are good for that. Uh, but there are two very big hints in those collections. There is at least one more Kendra-centric book that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. I have to finish writing this duology first. Right. Uh, but we'll 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 see what happens. And I don't think she's ever going to go away. There are always mm. going to be there are always going to be other stories from her history. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm revising and expanding a memoir. Of her childhood, ah, so it's it's a science backstory memoir exactly mm -hmm. mm. because she and she and Ayana grew up as neighbors; they were best friends. So they they've known each other since they were toddlers, right? And what kind of trouble could two intelligent, curious, independent girls get into in the twenty eighties? I wonder. <laughs> oh, I wonder. <laughs> rather a lot. Yeah, rather a lot. Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of spin-offs with various things, you know, like the the Star Wars or the, you know, um, obviously Star Trek has had a certain amount, but with the Star Wars, they've taken characters that we've loved and then given them their own story. And we kind of can't get enough of it because they played a significant role, but they were, were in the orchestra. Now we're seeing them as soloists and stories of their own or their own battles and everything else. And just people love that because they love to have, well, what about them not in this environment, but in that environment, we'd see more depth and more understanding and more capabilities. We can't get enough of it, right? Right, and that goes back to connecting with the characters. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you create those vibrant characters, those characters that um, people really resonate with, then they're going to want to hear more about the characters out of the larger context. Yes. You know, that's why, you know, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. has, you know, you had the main line of the, the, the Avengers movies. Right. They had all the origin stories as well, you know, with mm -hmm. Thor and Iron Man and Captain Marvel, you know, because people want to hear about those characters. Yes. Yeah, we don't want it to be the end. If it's an end of the conglomerate, you know, do some individual stories. But people get so 
immersed and invested in these stories and it's like you just don't want them to get because for I think for a lot of people as it's a reflection very much on the parallel of life you know they need that hope to still be instilled in them they need that hope that they may not be able to find or sustain on their own without some assistance and so these books become that assistance to maintain the hope to keep your dream alive you know the it's we don't want to battle it. We just want to feed it so that it in, in its energy itself is doing the battling. Um, so I think that's imp important that we constantly have something out there that keeps our hope alive. Absolutely. And, and you look at some of the, you know, and you look at some books and movies and TV shows and you go, they have it worse. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's that, that part of the human nature. Okay, somebody else had it worse. I feel better about my situation now. Mm -hmm. You know, mine isn't as bad as that. And, you know, I kind of look upon that as uh, being grateful. Being grateful that I didn't go down that path. My, my path was rocky enough. I'm very grateful I didn't go down that one. They're obviously stronger than me because they've survived that. But I'm, I consider myself strong for surviving my own battle. And I think that's also a reflection on how much we can take realizing that, but also the um, being grateful that, you know, that isn't your story. Uh, you know, and, and it's, I think, a good reflection sometimes on, you know, gratitude is a good thing to have. You know, for the people that you've got around you, for for the the strength and the courage that you've acquired on your journey of life. Because as you keep throwing characters into situations and they've got to keep coming out of them, our reflection on our life is the situation we're going through. And okay, all right, we can't maybe do it the same way, but what it is is the enthusiasm and the support and the uh, advocacy for you to do it in your own life can apply. So I love it when it mirrors that. It becomes our own strength. Again, holding holding a mirror up to society. Yes. You know, and this is holding a mirror up, you know, a much more personal mirror. But again, it's it's holding up that mirror. We want society to change, folks. We've got to change. Yep. It's nobody else's responsibility other than ours. And if we change, change our tune, right? Know our instrument, change our tune join that orchestra in order to harmonize and transcend, we become that solution. And for us to give up and say, oh, no, they won. No, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm only one person. Well, just look at the heroes that were only one person and how they managed to get that orchestra behind them. And the music that they're playing is universal and has gathered many other people. So never underestimate or undermine, right? Exactly. Exactly. It, it takes everyone. It does, absolutely does. As it's in your book, there's the leader, which is yeah, there's the burden and the responsibility, but then all the people that believe in her, the mission, the dream, it's a part of their dream too, and they know that they're only going to get there if they're all coming together and play their piece, which is important. So now, where do people buy these books? Is there an order that they should go in in order to start this? Honestly, no. It depends kind of on your fandom mm. where you should start. So if you like the Avengers movies, the mm -hmm. big cast of characters and, and the high stakes and the battles and the intrigue, 
then you want to start with the Artemis War. And that one is The Road to the Stars is the first book. If you like those or if you like the origin stories, then you go for the Cassidy Chronicles mm -hmm. because that tells you where you know Ayana and Kendra came from. Right. If if you like variety, then you go for the short story collections. Mm -hmm. And if you and if you're a Star Trek fan, then you want you want the Ghosts of Tantor because that's really the let's get out and explore. Right. Book. Yes. Um, so you can find all of them, no surprise, on Amazon. Mm -hmm. They're also available wide, so you can get them at places like Barnes and Noble, and you can get them on Kobo and uh, Apple Books. So you can get them if you don't want to go to Amazon. You can get them elsewhere. You can also go to my website, which is CassidyChronicles.com, and you can buy the books directly from me and uh, the lovely part about buying directly from an author from an author is that I'm never going to take them back <laughs> right? because when you buy them from a, a giant retailer you're not actually buying the book you're buying a license to the mm. book and they can revoke the license at any time I didn't know that yes so if you've bought uh, a book and you've paid for that book they can demand it back like a library? <laughs> it would simply disappear. It ah. would be removed from your, you know, it would be right. removed from your library as if it never existed. Right. That's if it's an ebook, not That's a hard it. copy or a soft copy. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can also find me, you can email me. Well, you'll get a response from Kendra. Uh, Kendra at CassidyChronicles.com. And that's Kendra uh, she, with a K, K E N D R A. And Cassidy, yeah, and C A S S I D Y Chronicles, yeah. And you've um, got a, a Facebook group on it as well, a fan book, yes. a fan page. Uh, yes, Kendra's tribe. And I'm sure you know people. I mean, after all this time, you've obviously got a lot of followers that are just waiting. As you said, you go to events and things like this. Uh, just as there is the kind of the, uh, do you go to like the sci-fi big things where the tv shows but is it also for the authors as well oh yes oh yes uh there are, there are a lot of science fiction conventions and you know I, i'm based in colorado so i i tend to stay fairly close to here I, i'd like to stay within a day's drive mm -hmm. um because if i'm selling books it doesn't make sense for me to fly Right. You know, because books are heavy. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, train a uh, car. <laughs> so so I, I, I tend to do them in and around this area. Uh, I have Wild West Comic Con coming up. I have Costume Con up in Denver. Mm. And I also have the Wyoming Pop Culture Convention that's coming up in April. And I'll have more as I... As I book into them. Right. So. Neat. Uh, for the audio, do you do the reading or do you actually have people that come in as the characters? Oh, I, I hire professionals. Mm. Um, right now, the, the God's Fall books are being, the first one is being recorded by Veronica Wiley. She's a professional television and film actress. Mm. And she's also done some of the Cassidy books. Mm. And I'm 
very much looking forward to hearing what she has done with them because it, it's a thrill. It is absolutely a thrill as an author to hear yes. your words come to life and hear somebody else bringing them mm -hmm. to life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It takes on a whole new life, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's it so, does. not but so much. Of, my apologies. Uh, all of the books in the Cassidyverse are available as audiobooks. And of course, audiobooks are really kind of very, very popular because people can listen to it rather driving, jogging, thising or thating, houseworking, whatever. And this is where, you know, what I always say about a podcast. You know, you have book clubs, which is great. Have a podcast club, listen to a podcast and then discuss it. You know, and you can have people that uh, are readers of the book that listen to your podcast and now talk about you, the author. So it's, you know, the whole thing about thing is please share the inspiration, share what you got out of it, share the excitement. We all need some excitement. And when you're enthusiastic about something and you share why, you're triggering something in somebody else to go, wow, if it does that for you, um, I need to read these too. You know, when Harry met Sally type of <laughs> response, we need yes. to share. <laughs> I'll have what she's having. So, um, so I think that it's really important that, you know, we – in a way, it's kind of a form of escapism because we can read books on what's really happening in the world right now or watch the news or this or that, but that's just going to bring us down and make us feel helpless. So I think when we read something that is a reflection but shows us the hope and actually even the actions that we, what we can do about it, I think then it becomes something that becomes supportive to us and shows us the way forward just even if it's just the strength and courage and abilities in that we find within ourselves so you know hope funk i love that we all need a lot of hope we all need to devour a lot of hope and then we need to step into that hope into action as i say listen learn and apply right because that's what it's all about so thank you so much for sharing with us here today and uh, you know keep on writing clearly very much in your blood. My brother started writing when he was six and um, started writing stories. So it was a foregone conclusion that would be his path. How, how young were you? Oh, probably high school when I started, you know, playing with it. Mm -hmm. But then... you, as you said, you edit uh, people's books as well. So um, if they want their book edited at all, can they reach out to you? How do they reach out to you? Just through email? Absolutely. Uh, yes. Reach out to me at my email. I'm also on most social medias just as Adam Gaffin, mm -hmm. um, Facebook, Instagram, threads. Um, just reach out and say, hey, how you doing? Mm -hmm. I heard you. You know, I heard you on the podcast. Right. Exactly. And that's G-A-F-F-E-N, folks, Gaffin. Um and, uh, you know, back to plugging uh, Michaela and Mickey in the book and our Forgotten Children book series, which comes out February 20th, where she's contributed a chapter. And uh, you can also hear the shows that she's done with me, one on the chapter, one on her why and what she's doing. A very illuminating lady on her, on her own as well. And, uh, you know, we want people to read more, if, if, whether they're listening or whether they're reading. Uh, whether it's an ebook or paperback book or in the, and I still prefer paperback book. All those books behind me are people that um, I've interviewed <laughs> their books. <laughs> and so I still like the tangible paperback book. But whatever way, it's just immerse yourself into another world. Because A, yes, a little escapism from the world you're in right now, but also a different perspective on how to handle 
your world that you're in right now and what you can do to move forward. So really, really important. So thank you so much, Adam. And uh, to everyone else out there, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. There are so many more for you here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. Just go to the podcast tag at the top there and you will see all the many genres and all 3,000 shows ready for your listening. We are here to serve you, to help you on your journey of life. And we know that through inspiration, it begets invitation. We are supported by you, the listeners, and those that we interview. Anything that you can spare us in donation would be greatly accepted. And we do hope that you enjoy the next show.